All right, I'm going to ask you to turn your attention to your copy of the Word of God, uh, the Bible, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be spending some time in this letter written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved and made accessible to us today. And we want to make it accessible to you. Um, in doing so, by the way, uh, this is not a uh, shameless plug, but we also, if you're here and you do not have a Bible that is readable um, and in the everyday language, um, and we want to give that to you because we have provided these in the pews in front of you. Um, we're going to be on page 1026, though, if you're looking for where we're at in the, this Bible today. Um, but we want to provide this to you because we believe having a Bible that is readable and faithful to the translations is so important. That's why we use the CSB. That's why we preach out of it and teach out of it. And that's why we provide it to you. We don't want to just have decorations. All right, now that that plug is done and it is important, let's spend time looking at God's Word to help us know who He is better. Help us see what He has done better. Help us hear what He has said better. Because we can have all the things going on in our week and somehow miss out on this communication that God has given us to say, know me, know the Lord, and also make me known. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. We stand up and we, we say we must stand for so many things. Let's stand honoring the greatest thing that God has ever given us, and that is the revelation of Himself. Paul says in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, it says, We have spoken openly to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. I speak as to my children as a proper response. Open your hearts to us and do not become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and the Spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room for us in your hearts, we have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. And I don't say this to condemn you, since I've already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am very frank with you, and I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, today, as we spend time in your word, help us to, first of all, hear from you above all. God, I pray that my role today would just be the role of a servant and that 
you would shine forth more than anything else today. Show us what it means to know you. And and show us what it means to hear what you've done, to see what you've said, to be communicated with by your love, and what it means for us to carry that message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Now our goal each week when we come together in the Scripture, and this should be not only the goal of the Sunday regiment, the Sunday ritual, the Sunday worship time, it should be the goal of every time we are in the Word of God. And, and make no mistake, if, if Sunday morning for only 20 to 40 minutes is the length of your time in the Word of God, you are starving for that which God has already provided. Um, I know one of my friends is laughing back there because I didn't make the, the leeway from 20 to 40, and he's like, yeah, I have 20, I bet. All right, so, but what I want you to know is that God has given us a gift in this message that we hold, and it speaks volumes to the needs of our life. And it is good that we hear it because in it we see not only who God is, but how God loves so greatly. It's His communication to us and left for us and preserved for us that we might have an understanding of, of who He is. And when we spend time in the Word, we need to be asking ourselves, okay, God, You've given this to me as an act of grace. You didn't have to give it to me. You could have said, you know what, I'm holy. You guys are sinners. I'm just going to leave you alone. I'm going to be separate away from you. I'm, I'm not going to involve myself here. But out of Your grace, You chose to reveal who You are to me. So I need to look at your word and say, God, what does it say? I need to be reading it for myself, studying it for myself, meditating on it for myself, wrestling over the words for myself. What does it say? But not only what it says, don't just take time and say, all right, I'm going to fill my daily Bible quota, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, done. I don't know how many of you ever tried to do that in school. There's a lot, a lot of times you can gain a lot of ground if you just are reading what it says but not taking the moment to understand what it means and how it applies. And that's the further part of this growth. Just like the nutrients you eat each week are, are not just, sorry, right, I'm doing this just to fill my belly and that's the only purpose. No, it's to get the nutrients. It's to soak in what is there and also the flavor because you want food that's delicious. I know I want food that's delicious. But it's it's to taste all that's there and then to have it soak in. The same thing is true for the Word. We need to not only see what it says, but spending time wrestle over what it means and how it applies. And then we'll be able to know what to do. We'll be able to discover what God has purpose for us. Part of understanding that meaning and that application is understanding all right, who the author is and what the audience is and who the aim is. These are multiple books in the Bible from different authors over a long period of time. God being the, the inspirer of every single one of those authors. But we need to understand what's going on. In this case, we're reading Second Corinthians. We've been hearing from a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church that he loves. So there's the author and there's the audience. It's a church he loves and yet he's writing a letter. He's a thousand miles away and he's been corresponding back and forth over a year helping a church wrestle with these issues of being alert and awake to who God is, what He has said, and what He has done. You see this repeated over and over through the Scripture. And He's helping them understand that because of that, we are left with a task. We are left with a mission. And it is a good mission. It is one given to us, not because 
God says He needs us, but because God loves us and brings us along to what He is already doing. And so here, we see this moment in in 2 Corinthians where Paul has been talking, he's been writing, and and I've told you I I love how uh, chapter 3 and 4 and 5 are all building up into this just triumphant moment where you see chapter 3 and Paul is writing about in this letter, in this paragraph, he's saying that we are a fragrant aroma that carry around the message of both life and death. But we are, we are carrying it. We're meant to be these people that, uh, that emanate God's love in, in a very tangible way. And not only were that, but we're people a part of a triumphant parade that we don't get to celebrate by tooting our own horn because we're so amazing. But we follow a leader who is utterly victorious. That he rules and reigns with incredible power and grace. And we get to yell and, 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 and celebrate that triumph with him. And that as this God is the God who triumphs, he's also the one that unveils truth. He doesn't want to keep what is known about him covered. He wants to let everyone know. He wants everyone to have access to his word, to knowing who he is. That he has unveiled this truth for us in our hearts that we may unveil it to others. And unveiling this truth, He's also given us a present. A present that we have now and carry, but a present that will also carry us to the future. It will hold us and keep us secure. And as people that carry that present, we're also ambassadors. You see, this is all building up on what God has done. But then Paul gets to some... Let's get to the point here. Let's get to what's going on here. I want you to know all this. I don't want you to miss out on this. I'm telling you ahead of time, this is how good God is and how much His love matters. But here is the point. There is something going on that is not clicking with you. And because you're choosing to slumber where you're at and not be awakened to who He is and what He's done, it's left you just not very distinct from the world. It's kind of like a blah, blah message. You ever heard a song on the radio? You turn it on, and you know it's a love song, and you know the tune, but you don't know the words. It's kind of like, and you think you know them, but if you, anybody else was in the room, they're like, um, you sure you know the words of the song? It may be the catchiest tune in the world as far as the music in the background, but the words itself... It's something just lost in music. In other words, when I consider those songs, they're just blah, blah songs. There's nothing that's left a mark. There's nothing that's left a memory about the, the, the actual words. You're just hearing the tune. And so it's just a blah, blah filler of noise. It may be a catchy noise, but that's all it is. There's nothing memorable about it. And that's who we are. We can have a lot of production, a lot of noise, but if it doesn't leave a memorable moment, a mark that God's love is on you and demonstrated through you, you're just a bunch of blah blah noise that's same as what's going on in the rest of the world. So how do we get that message across? What does the Scripture unfold to us about the church's language, communication of Christ's love? Well, we already talked about how we are called to be ambassadors that were created new in Christ as those who are filled with qualities and characters that exemplify 
His work in us. They exemplify Him. They communicate Him. And that we may faithfully, because they're there, that we may faithfully also communicate Him. And so when we look at the Scripture and see how it unfolds this, how it communicates this, how this letter is given to us, we can see, first of all, God's message of love to us. And we need that. If we're going to learn anything today, if, if you don't get any of the other points, this is the message. That the Bible is telling us something about the love of God. It's communicating that to us. And that is, first of all, that God is the Holy Creator. That He made it all. He started it all. He initiated it all. He has all authority to handle it all. And in that creation, He made distinctive features. Distinctive creatures that we can see. We can look around and see even echoes of that design because He is Creator and He started with a creation. But then we can also see that even though God's design is there, we can also see there's a flaw in the system. There's something wrong. And that is the fall. It is the echoes of what humanity did with our spiritual ancestors, uh, Adam and Eve. When they chose to rebel against God, and that echo of rebellion has just permeated through humankind. Every single one of us has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all live with that echo. But God will not let an echo overshadow Him. God will not let an echo cover His grace. No, He covers the echo with grace. He covers the fault with grace. He sends redemption. That even in the beginning, what He planned to provide grace was provided. And it was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And that by trusting in Him, we may have life. And that redemption leads to our restoration. Not only the one day when we enter into heaven's gates with eternal life, but as our life is unfolded. So what does that message look like? What does that, if we break it down, how would you share the gospel? I know I kind of give a synopsis of this each week, but it's important for us to have this repetitive on our minds so we may repeat it. What we've treasured in our heart, what we've put in our minds and our ears may also proceed from our mouths when we're sharing it. And so if you're trying to share the gospel, this word that means good news, what is that good news? Well, is that God can be trusted. That God's character can be trusted. That He is the one that loves you. Yes, that is good news. People love the fact that God loves you. But in God's character, we must be faithful to His character. And that is that God loves you, but God's ultimate attribute is His holiness. It's because of God's holiness that God has perfect love. It's because of God's holiness that God is perfect truth. It's because of God's holiness that there is perfect grace. But it's because of God's holiness there is perfection. And therein lies the problem. We are not perfect. And if you know anything about perfection, and everything must be perfect, what happens when you bring the imperfect in the room? It makes it imperfect. It, it, it brings the flaw. It brings the, the mistake. It brings the offense. Imagine, if you will, a beautiful, fragrant place. A beautiful, ornate place. That you just love being at. Maybe it's the happiest place in the world, wherever it is. And then imagine you walk around the corner and there's a skunk. And you're sprayed. 
not so beautiful, not so fragrant anymore. There is some mark that is left on you that is distinctive. Something must be done about that offense. Well, God covers even the greater offense of sin, that rebellion that separates us from God. And we must know about God's character, but we must know the offense of sin. In other words, we must know the incredibly bad news if we can see the magnitude of God's great news. And that is we have a problem, and that is the offense of sin that, that burdens us all, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is not a case where we try to say, I'm better than you, I'm better than them, they're less than us, they're less than me. No, all of us when it comes to God carry that mark. But God in His grace, in His love, He had made a promise in the Old Testament that this is how I will bring redemption from the fall And I do it by sending the only sufficient one capable of making it right. Once again, if you just keep adding imperfect to try to make the perfect perfect, it's not going to happen. You're just going to keep having imperfection, but God in His perfection sent Himself to die for us. And based on what He has done, He has placed in our hands the gift of grace that says now it is your personal responsibility To choose what you will do with Jesus. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But make no mistake, it is a personal responsibility. The Bible says to all that received Him, He gave them the right to become children of God to even those who believe in His name. But that means to those that did it. To those that received. To those that believe. That means there are some that won't. And I don't know why they won't, but they won't. But we have entrusted with a personal responsibility And that responsibility comes with an eternal urgency. It is life and death in the balance, blessing or curse in the balance, heaven or hell in the balance, based on what we do with Jesus. And it's not that... I want you to hear this out. It's not that you're going to hell because you didn't say yes to Jesus. It's because you're going to hell if you don't know Him, because that's the default setting already. Jesus is the only way outside of the default setting. You're already going there if you are not a follower of Christ, if you've not trusted in His name. And that seems mean, that seems exclusive, but it is God's way of love, His way of perfection. The default setting on your life and all of our lives is that we who are sinners who had fallen short of the glory of God But God demonstrated His own love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ did the work to change that default setting so that we might trust in Him. When we trust in Him, that default setting goes away and we are given a new new trajectory, if you will. One that sets us towards heaven, but it also changes our life where we're at it. And this is the message of God's love that speaks faithfully of truth and grace. That when we talk about Jesus, He is the one that is full of grace and truth. We must have both and. We cannot have one or the other. They must complement one another. And then that means if we're going to see God's love, we must communicate the truth of this is why we need it so desperately and this is why it's provided so lovingly. If we focus too much on truth and don't bring in grace, we can we sound like cruel dictators, you know, just punching at people and beating at people with our words, and it just seems cruel. 
But if we only speak of grace, we don't call them to the attention of what they desperately need. And it's actually more unloving not to be true. So we need both. The people of God must live with this abiding in the Gospel. We cannot overemphasize it enough. We cannot. Because once we lose sight of the Gospel, we lose sight of what it means to live in liberty. And what we'll end up doing is we'll go way this far over and we'll end up in a place of legalism. I'm all about truth. And if you're not like me, you're against me. And you're against all of God. And we start making these lists of as if we ourselves are the ordainers of our own future, as if we ourselves are, are achieving the mark, not missing out what Jesus alone could do for us and has done for us. If we miss out on the gospel. But if we miss out on the gospel, say, well, I don't want to go that way. Some people start going over here and like, well, that's good. No, I'm glad God forgives me. But I'm just kind of like doing my own thing over here. I like drifting over in this lane and and staying here. And and, and I'll come back to the Jesus grace thing when I need my forgiveness or my weekly dose of sanctification or whatever. But I, I want to do the things I want to do because I have a license to. God forgives anyways. I, I, you know, it doesn't, the grace really doesn't matter. What? Either one of these are grace abusers, grace killers. But then there's some people, I will say there's even a third place whenever we miss out on the gospel, this message that Paul is speaking about, that the, the, the scripture pushes towards. I'm, I'm saying the whole Bible speaks about this, so I'm not preaching out of context today. And that is where we don't drift over to the right or the left or the left or the right, whichever way you want to call, whichever way you want to label those. But we end up just putting things in neutral, just trying to coast where we are. We end up in a life of leisure. Well, I don't want to drift over there. I, they, they seem harsh and dictatorial. Or I don't want to go over there. They just seem full of loose living with their license. But I don't really want to go forward either. So I'm just going to put it in neutral. And whichever way the hill coasts me, that's the way I'll go. All three of those are wrong. When God has called us to take His love and, and move forward with liberty in that love, abiding in the Gospel, always going back to it. Because if we miss the Gospel, everything else just won't make sense of what God is calling us to. It won't make sense that not only is God have a message, but He has His means. That the purpose of disciples individually, your purpose as a child of God, and a purpose of the church collectively, is that we would be those who are reconciled, and that we would also communicate the love of reconciliation. That's what Paul says, that we're, we're people that carry around this fragrant aroma. We're people that help unveil this truth that God has unveiled for us. We're people that share about this future. We're people that are ambassadors. That's our role. We cannot set it aside and say, no, I, I just rather put myself in neutral. I'll let somebody else that wants to put it in drive go. And by the way, that whole analogy... <laughs> I went to back to the bricks yesterday, so I saw a lot of cars. So it's the, the car analogies are just in my head. And that's funny because I'm not really a motorhead at all. But I remember as a kid, as a teenager, with I just got my driver's license. You know what I had? I had a manual shifter. 
I love driving a manual because it actually requires a little bit of work. I can't, I can't just put it in a thing and let the, everything do it for me. I have to manually go to first and I have to manually go to second. When I'm downstairs, I have to manually go to second and then to first. And, and I have to follow with the way things are supposed to go for the car to work in the way it's supposed to work. It requires some action on my part. And yet, I think most of us, just even given the culture that most of the cars you find are automatic, we kind of default to that method and everything else in our life. Can I just put it in drive and it'll get me where I need to go? Or somebody else will get me there, right? Does it really require work on my part? Yeah, it does. And God has required a work on our part that we are His means. Both disciples individually and the church collectively together saying God has provided by His grace a message of incredible reconciliation that though I was separated from Him, He in His love drew me near. In our Bible study in the the mornings with the the guys we've been looking at the life of Zacchaeus and... uh, Zacchaeus' response is incredible. We don't know exactly what the conversation was, but somewhere along the way, Zacchaeus is encountering the love of God. It draws him in. And yet, out of that, he, 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 he's encountering the perfect. And out of that love that accepts him and draws him in, he becomes this realization that, well, I love it, it loves it, accepts me as I am, but doesn't leave me there. There's an expectation. And out of his own volition, out of his own choice, out of the own move of his heart, he tells the Lord that, man, these places where I've defrauded people, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay that back four times as much. And, and half of my possessions, I don't need all this stuff. I'm feeling led to give that away. It moves him. And in that story, in that moment in history, a message is communicated. And the means through which it's communicated happened through the life of a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, Zacchaeus. You guys can yield. You guys all know that song. But we see not only that God has in the message, the entirety of Scripture that's communicating the language of His love and the means through the church, but He has His methods. This doesn't just happen by osmosis. Verses 6 through 11. Through 6, 11 through 18 is where we see this. And Paul says that in these means, we see that God is meant to communicate through the method of affection. That out of open hearts, with communication, with words, with conduct, with actions, with compassion and conviction, that is meant to be on display. That is a method that God uses. Not cold, stone, grinding, persimmon-faced hearts. But ones that are full and overflowing with love in word and deed. And that are leaving a mark that the message isn't blah, blah, blah. It's, it's something that, man, it impacts you. There's compassion and conviction. There's firmness and there's gentleness. There's truth and there's grace. Affection must be there. Paul is saying, I, I'm speaking open to you because I love you. My heart's open wide. I'm not withholding any affection from you. I'm speaking to you as children. Not calling them children like, oh, you're beneath me. But as a father to a child, as someone who who wants to help people learn, he's communicating that. 
One of God's methods is affection. Another method is distinction. When Paul says these statements, don't become partners with those who do not believe. Paul begins asking us to look at some questions about what is distinctive about you as a child of God, as the church of God in a world that is distant from God. What does it look like? And it's certainly not for us to be holier than thou. It's certainly not for us to be sacrosanct, where we just dismiss everything. But there's some questions we must ask. And the first one is that, are we living irrationally? Do we choose to live irrationally? Because we shouldn't. Verse 14 and 15 says, Don't become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? But Paul begins asking a bunch of questions. Uh, How rational is it, in the first question, that there would be partnership between that which is righteous and that which is lawless? How does that make sense? Just answer that question. Paul is almost daring us. The Holy Spirit is almost daring us to ask and answer that question. What partnership can there be between righteousness and lawless? Try to answer that question. You'll see that one has to be there or the other. What fellowship is there between light and darkness? What harmony does Christ have with Belial? Belial means the worthless and the demonic one. What com- commonality does a believer have with an unbeliever? I can, I can get to that one a little bit. But the others are hard to get by. And here is the point. Paul says if you're trying to merge these together, it's irrational. It's irrational to try to want these. Because they do not have a partnership. They are water and oil. They do not mix together. And yet, if we do not set apart our lives, we will end up trying to find this irrationality. The only one that you can even wrestle with is that you were once lost and now you have been found. You were once blind and now you see. You were once dead and now you are alive. That is the commonality of a believer with an unbeliever. That's why we must not leave them to their own devices, those who do not yet know. But how do we combat the other things? Secondly, we should not live sacrilegiously. Paul then asks the the fifth question in this whole list of questions. What agreement can there be between the temple of God and idols? Paul had said previously in his letter, his first letter, 1 Corinthians, to the church at Corinth, that each of us, as people indwelt with the Holy Spirit, are temples of the living God. So why defile it with idols? Seems like a pretty interesting imagery. The people of Corinth, they grew up in the, the Greco-Roman world. The idea of idols and seeing these idols of worship all over on, play, on display in the marketplace, those were commonalities for them. Paul, speaking to those that would be Jewish readers, um, would, would know that this is a... a very contrary to God's intention. But it happened in the Old Testament. We can learn a lot when we read the Old Testament. We must stay in the Old Testament. It teaches us about the promises, but it also shows us the standard. But in the Old Testament with the Israelites, they had this temple of the living God. And yet there were times when unrighteous kings, lawless prophets, unholy priests, 
They would allow temple worship to coincide with everything that was going on in the holy place. And it defiled it. And God allowed that rebellion to lead to consequence. Paul knows the dangers of these. The Bible tells us the dangers of idol worship and allowing in our life. Psalm 115 says that um, not to us, O Lord, but to Your name be the glory. And and then he talks about the, the people that worship idols. He says those that worship idols, they become like them. They become like them. That these idols that have eyes, they can't see. You're becoming like someone blind. That these idols that have ears but can't hear, you're coming like someone that's deaf. These eyes that have mouths but cannot speak, you're going to become like someone that doesn't have words worth saying. We cannot live sacrilegiously. We should not also live disobediently. There cannot be a cooperation between the lives of devotion and lives of disobedience. Paul says to come out as people that have God being with you and, and you being with God, come out from among the world and be separate. Now, I don't want you to hear that and say, alright, that means we just need to isolate ourselves in our own little Christian bubble. No, that is not what Paul is illuminating here. That is not what the Holy Spirit is moving him to, to, to declare. But he is saying, out of the world are you distinctive. Because if you're not, you're going to find yourself living unprofitably. That there's going to be no effects to what's going on with your life. That it's not going to yield anything. If you're living irrationally and living sacrilegiously and living disobediently, then ultimately your life is just going to end up being one of unprofitability. And none of us would say that. We want to add value to our life. We want to say, I have merit. I have validation. I have something that's meant to accomplish And God would say, yes, you do. But if you let your life lean towards that of irrationality and sacrilegious and and, and disobedient, then unprofitability comes. And not only that, you'll live ungratefully. Because what you're saying is, I want God to do all this, and yet I never want to do anything for God. It's in other words saying that like, thank you, that you say for that gift that you really didn't want and you really didn't need and it kind of that gift that says, ah, you didn't really think about this, did you? You know, like whenever your parents got get you socks for Christmas. No, just no. Socks are a good gift. Socks are a good gift, children. But I know how you grit your teeth whenever you get the sock thing. You seem ungrateful. How much more so when we think about what God has done to demonstrate the promises He has given us. When Paul says, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You see, we've got to live out of gratefulness. Once again, we've got to look at the message of the Gospel. What has God done to convey and communicate in the language of His love, righteousness, holiness, truth, grace, What has God done to deliver that message? What is His means? It's you as the disciple. It's the church together. What is God's methods? That these means are not just meant to be happenstance. They're they're meant to live with affection and love. They're meant to be distinctive. And when that happens, and people witness that, what they are left with is a mark. A mark. Paul says that this brings 
holiness to completion, the fear of God, it, it works that good work in us. It works that good work through us. It has a response. Paul's saying, I want you to hear this. This is me telling you this out of love. This is, this is the truth and the grace. And he's saying, out of the ministry that we've given to you, make room for us in your hearts and know that this message that I'm trying to tell you it's not to wrong anyone. It's not to corrupt anyone. It's not to take advantage of anyone. And I'm not condemning you where you are. You're already in my hearts. And that's why I want you to know I love you. And in the greatest way that I can love you, I want you to know the greatest one who loves you. I want this mark to be upon you. That you would have God's love revealed to you and his redemption through you and his repurposing of you to leave a lasting mark upon you that'll also leave a lasting mark on others. Not because of who we are, but because of what Christ is doing in us. Today I want you to ask you this question. Do you know the message of God's love to you? Do you understand that God is calling you to be His means to get that message out? What is the methods of your life looking like as faithful means to the message? And today, are you a person that says, God, leave your mark upon me and help me leave that mark upon others. Help me carry faithfully, clearly, not Muddied, not just a blah, blah sound in the resonance of this world, but help me carry that message well so that others may hear just as I'm hearing from you today.